just want you to know this morning that I am stoked. I am excited. I couldn't wait to preach this sermon. I couldn't wait till we got to this passage. All of God's word is profitable. All of God's word is useful. All of God's word is necessary to equip us to be perfect unto every good work. But there are portions of scripture that, well, perhaps they just so speak to me that I hope that they will speak to others. This is the kind of passage we are in this morning. It is a unique passage for three reasons. First, rarely do I have the opportunity to speak on a topic that is relevant for every single individual. That I know that what I have to say this morning is for you. Sometimes people will say to me as they leave the, uh, the, as they leave the sanctuary, that was just for me. Or sometimes I think you were preaching at me. Or how did you know what was going on in my life this week? Well, that's wonderful when those things happen. But this morning, I could have entitled this sermon, This is for You. And also, this is for me. Secondly, rarely do I have the opportunity to speak on a topic that is immediately applicable to everyone to whom I am preaching. Sometimes what I have to say seems to be more relevant to one person or another. Like a Mother's Day sermon probably is not as helpful to a man who is single, who has no children, and parents are gone. Certain sermons have a certain hearing. And rarely do the, does the opportunity occur where I can speak on a topic that has a universal application. Where one thing that I have to say at the end is true for each and every one of us. That we can go away, each and every person who is sitting here this morning, and put into practice what the conclusion of this sermon is. Usually I have to think about the audience that I'm speaking to. And if it's a Mother's Day sermon, think about, well, what does that mean for a child? What does that look like for them? What does that look like for the single woman who would love to be married or is very happy in their singleness? Or what about the poor married couple that's out there and they desperately want to have children and can't have children, and it's just a reminder to them of their frustration and their unanswered prayers. And so as you, th you think of a, a subject, you realize that people are going to hear this in a different way. So how do you present it in such a way that it is helpful to them in their particular life circumstances to live out what the Word of God has to say? So that it needs many applications. And I go away realizing every Sunday that there are certain situations I haven't addressed. There are certain people whose needs probably haven't been met. This morning, it's a universal application. What I have to say can be immediately put into practice by every single person here this morning. So, I'm excited. Let's pray. Almighty God, we know that ultimately 
Your spirit is the revealer of truth. Lord, it's, it's not me. It is your spirit. And though your word speaks to all of our hearts, sometimes we're not open to your word. Sometimes we're not receptive. Sometimes our minds are elsewhere. And sometimes we are just in a spiritual fog. So, Lord, we pray, even as the psalmist prayed, open thou our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from thy law. Uh, Lord, speak to us today. May we say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. May it be profitable. May it bring glory to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, those were a lot of promises. So how do we make good on it? What is the topic for today? It is dealing with doubts. Dealing with doubts. In particular, dealing with spiritual doubts. How do I handle my unbelief? We can say, with the New Testament saints, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. We have before us a surprising portion of Scripture as we think about John the Baptist's doubts. Surprising, I say, or should it be surprising to us? And then, secondly, should we be surprised by our doubts? What do we learn about doubts in this particular portion of Scripture? Well, first, the surprising area of John's doubts. John the Baptist's doubts were significant. It went to the very core of his faith. He doubted God in a foundational aspect of his faith. John doubted or questioned whether or not Jesus really was the Messiah. Was he, in fact, the Christ? Was he the Savior? Notice verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you the one that should come? Are you the promised Messiah? Are you the Savior, or should we look for another? When you think about doubts, there is not too much more significant doubt about one's faith than that. Is Jesus the person that he says that he is? Lessons. First, believers can and do have doubts about central aspects of the faith. Believers do and can have doubts about central aspects of the faith. There may be days that you wake up and wonder if God really exists. Ask yourself, did, was Jesus really and truly God in the flesh? At Christmas time, 
Are there ever moments in which you say, born of a virgin? How can that be? Or at Easter, am I really sure in my heart and mind that Jesus rose from the dead? Or do I simply say that I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? Or do I really anticipate that? Am I really looking for that? Am I really living my life like Jesus Christ is coming again? Do, do I really believe in a bodily return of Jesus Christ to this earth? I don't care what doctrine it is. I don't care how simple it is. I don't care how important it is to our faith. If we are honest with ourselves, and more importantly, honest with God, there are times that we have doubts. There are times that we have doubts. Second point, the surprising person who doubts. It is John the Baptist who is expressing doubts concerning Jesus. Now, how surprising is that? It is so surprising that the commentators go through all kinds of gymnastics to try to explain away John the Baptist's doubts. Some wonder about the timing of this, some wonder about all kinds of things, because to them, it's unthinkable that John the Baptist would question whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. Almost unthinkable, unimaginable. Why would it be unimaginable for John the Baptist to express doubts concerning Jesus' being a Messiah? I have three reasons. First, it's surprising that John the Baptist would have doubts because of the high view we have of John the Baptist. We would think that John the Baptist would be farther along spiritually. We would expect more from John the Baptist than to have these kinds of doubts, these elementary doubts, these significant doubts about Jesus being the Savior. The people held John the Baptist in high regard. They flocked to hear him. They regarded him as a prophet. But not only did the people hold John the Baptist in high regard, Jesus held John the Baptist in high regard. Look at Matthew 11, 11. 11, 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, those are Jesus' words. Those are Jesus' appraisal of people born among women, which is pretty universal. Of all those people born among women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. That's Jesus' appraisal of John the Baptist. And incidentally, that's Jesus' appraisal of John the Baptist after he has the doubts. 
and says there hasn't arisen one greater than John the Baptist. That's Jesus' assumption, appraisal of John the Baptist. So if Jesus is going to say that of all the prophets, which is verse before, there was no prophet greater than John the Baptist, one might think that that would mean that that prophet has incredible faith and confidence and would never question or doubt God. And yet, John the Baptist does. We don't expect people to have such doubts. We don't expect spiritual giants to have doubts. We don't expect individuals that are uniquely used of God to have doubts. And we probably don't expect ourselves to have doubts. And so we say to ourselves, thinking that Christians should not doubt, that I doubt, and maybe I'm not a Christian. This morning, we are to learn we are in good company. The best of God's people doubt. Secondly, it's surprising that John the Baptist would have doubts concerning Jesus because of the message of John the Baptist. John's role was to prepare the way for Jesus. John's role, John's ministry, John's calling, John's purpose in life was to prepare people to receive and believe in Jesus as the Messiah. That's what John was about. That's what made him tick. And that's what God had called him to from his womb. Matthew 3 says, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Not only was that his function and his role to prepare people to receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but John had repeatedly been proclaiming that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. John 1, 28. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John the Baptist. Declaring confidently before multitudes, Look, there is the Lamb of God. There is the one who takes away the sin of the world. There is the Messiah. 
Are you the one that's to come? Or do we look for another? How do you reconcile those two things? Does it surprise you that one who would proclaim the truth of God's word might have doubts? Do we ever beat ourselves up as Sunday school teachers because we teach something and then we go home and say to ourselves, do I really believe that? It's surprising because we don't expect those who preach and teach the word of God to have doubts. Thirdly, it is surprising that John the Baptist had doubts concerning Jesus because of the religious experiences that John had. John had some unique privileges. First, John was given a unique revelation and sign. God said to John the Baptist, I am going to make it explicitly clear to you who the Messiah is. John, you're not going to be able to miss it. Don't worry about it, because I am going to make it clear. John 1, and 34. Words of John the Baptist. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Here's the one. John, when you see someone and the Holy Spirit descends upon them and you see it, you'll know that's the one. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. He saw the heavenly dove descending upon Jesus when he was baptized. Not only did he receive the sign, but listen to this. John personally heard the audible voice of God telling him that Jesus was the Messiah. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he, that is John the Baptist, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Think about that one. Gets a sign. Hears a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son. And he turns around and sends word to Jesus, are you the one or do we look for another? We might be surprised that a person who received a sign or heard God's voice 
would have doubts concerning your heart. Have you ever thought to yourself, I hate these doubts. I hate these uncertainties. I wish that I wouldn't be tossed to and fro. I wish I'd be more grounded. I wish that I had just this incredible certitude about everything that I believe. If only God would give me a sign. If only I could hear God's voice. Hear the most important lesson. Here was a person who had a sign. Here was a person who heard God's voice. And yet he doubted. Signs and voices don't remove all doubts. That's rather striking. But we need to learn. People who have great religious experiences still have doubts. Great people greatly used by God as people flocked to John the Baptist still have doubts. People who have been preaching and teaching the word of God for years still have doubts. People that have been incredibly committed to Jesus Christ and his message still have doubts. So, brothers and sisters, it should not surprise us when we have doubts. We are in pretty rarefied company when we have doubts. Why did John the Baptist have doubts? And why do we have doubts? Let's look at the surprising reason for John the Baptist's doubts. We need to unpack this a little bit. Matthew 11, verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. While he was in prison, John's doubts were not initiated or aggravated by a brilliant philosopher that met John and caused him to question all that he believed or stood for. It wasn't the irrational nature of his faith. It wasn't that. It was his personal experience. It was the fact that he was in prison that contributed to his doubts. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, Doubting is not a matter of the intellect. It's the matter of the heart. So often, we get that backwards. We think it's up here that doubts come from when they come from in here. It's a matter of our affections. 
And why? Because, and now this is really important because it's very helpful to us, it's because John the Baptist's personal experience didn't seem to match what he believed about Jesus. In other words, the fact that Jesus was the Savior and Jesus was the Son of God and he had believed that wholeheartedly that Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is the Son of God, if that is true, why am I in prison? If that is true, why aren't I still out there with the multitudes? Why aren't I still being used of God? Why aren't I proclaiming his truth? Why am I in prison if Jesus is the Messiah? That's the crux of the matter. John's personal experience went contrary to his expectations. He didn't think it was going to end up this way. He knew that Jesus must increase and he must decrease. He said that. He knew that Jesus had to eclipse John the Baptist. But I submit to you that it took him totally by surprise that he's in prison. It wasn't expecting that. Which helps us to understand in chapter 10 why Jesus is preparing his disciples and telling them, you're going to be in prison, you're going to suffer, you're going to die. Nobody told John the Baptist those things. Nobody prepared him in that way, the way that Jesus was preparing his disciples. He didn't hear that news. And it seemed totally incongruous to him that if Jesus were the Son of God, that he would be going through these things. And oftentimes, our doubts are a result of our expectations. We don't think that life ought to be this way if I'm a Christian. Or, we don't think if God is loving and good that this should happen to me. If God is good and God is sovereign, then why is there evil? Haven't we all heard that? And we may say to ourselves, if God is good and God is sovereign, why in the world is this happening to me? When our experiences do not equate with our expectations. I want you to look at the surprising way in which Jesus ministers to John's doubts. The remedy, if you will. First, the surprising way that Jesus does not minister to John in his doubts. We might be surprised at what Jesus does and say, or in essence, does not do and does not say. First, what Jesus does not do. Jesus did not go to see 
John the Baptist in prison. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered them, go. Jesus did not directly speak to John the Baptist. Jesus didn't go to his prison cell and enter it and take John the Baptist in his arms and say, my son, you know I love you. You know I care for you. You know how proud I am of you. He didn't do any of that. He did not physically reach out and touch him. He didn't go to see John the Baptist. This is actually a bookend to a section in Matthew, and we're going slow, slowly through the book of Matthew that I can appreciate hard to keep seeing the forest when we're looking at the trees. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, which is the beginning of this bookends of, of ministry of Jesus, says this, Now when he, that is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. When he heard that John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus left the area and moved on to Galilee to continue to minister. When he heard the news... He didn't rush to the prison to minister to John the Baptist. Didn't Jesus care? Wasn't he concerned? Was he indifferent? Was he cold? He didn't go. One of the reasons he didn't go is so that we could learn and we could minister and we could profit by John the Baptist's experience. We may feel like Jesus is cold and distant and doesn't care in the midst of our doubts. So let's look at the surprising way that Jesus did minister to John and his doubts. Jesus sent John's disciples back to John with a message. Matthew 11, verse 4. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see and hear. And then he tells them what they saw and heard, just to make sure. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What is so surprising about that? First, what is surprising is what Jesus does not remind John the Baptist of. He doesn't say to John the Baptist, don't you remember the dove that came down out of heaven which you saw with your own eyes that rested upon me just as God told you it would? John, don't you remember that voice from heaven that you heard? And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Don't you get it? Don't you remember 
You heard it. That's not what he said. And that's not what he reminded John the Baptist of. Notice what he says. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Seems like a strange message. That's nothing new. That's not revelatory in nature. John the Baptist knew all these things were happening. It says in the beginning of the passage, when he had heard these deeds, he already heard this. And now they're to go back and remind him of it. Why? 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 Answer? Because these deeds were the fulfillment of prophecy concerning the Messiah that would come. A fulfillment of prophecy concerning the Messiah that would come. In Luke chapter 4, in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, you don't need to turn there, but when he started ministering publicly, he was in a synagogue, and Jesus asked for the book of the prophets to be brought to him. And it says that the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. He was looking very specifically for a passage. Not to remember it, but to read it because it was particularly applicable. And he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are trodden down. Jesus closed the book and said, I'm the one. I'm the one. I am the one who fulfills the prophecy of Scripture. So when John has doubts, Jesus, in fact, takes John the Baptist back to the Word of God. He says, John the Baptist, this is what I'm doing. You know what the Messiah does. Here's an important lesson. There is no greater instrument to remove doubts than the Word of God. There is no better way to deal with our doubts than going to Jesus and expressing them. 
and then going to the Word of God and expecting the Word of God to speak to our hearts and mind. Listen to this story from the book of Luke. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man, Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you were in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from you here to you may not be able, and may cross there from you to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them, raised from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone would rise from the dead. If they won't hear the word of God, they are not going to be convinced, even if somebody rise from the dead. Unless you might think that's an exaggeration or a hyperbole, let me just remind you that Jesus rose from the dead. And there are people that still don't believe. Why is this lesson so important? Because it prescribes for us the way to deal with doubts. It brings it in focus. It teaches us that it's not the voices from heaven. It's not the signs that are going to remove our doubts. It is the word of God that's going to remove our doubts. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing, faith comes from here. This is what God uses to instill our faith, to build up our faith, to remove our doubts. The more you doubt, the more you pour yourself into the Word of God, for it is living. And as a living book, it affects not just our intellect, it affects our heart. Because God speaks through his word. He speaks his word into our hearts. He causes us to believe what we read. And we can go away 
reproving ourselves, shaking our heads at ourselves, and wondering why we ever had such doubts. He ministers to us through his word. There's one other interesting thing in this, this passage. In Luke chapter 4, in the prophecy of Isaiah that Jesus read from the scroll, Jesus read it all. I read it selectively. In Luke chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, you may want to turn there and look at this. Luke chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. If you're turning in your ESV, I apologize because I did this in the uh, New American Standard. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. It's interesting that Jesus refers to the deeds of this passage, but omits, releases the captives. Because he doesn't want to mislead John. John's not going to be released. We're going to see in a few chapters later, John's beheaded. John is killed for his faith. He's martyred. Instead, he has a message for John the Baptist. Look at Matthew 11, verse 6. So tell him these deeds that I've done. And then the message, 11, verse 6. Blessed is the one who is not offended in me. Tell John that the person who is blessed, the person who abides under God's care, the person that has a special relationship to me, is the one who is not offended by me. He's blessed. John the Baptist had doubts. He was in prison. Why did this happen to him? If Jesus was the one that he says he was. Either the fault was in Jesus or the fault was in him. Jesus says, the fault is not with me. And the fault is not with you. This serves my purpose. In earlier in the book of Matthew, of course, we read, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the kingdom's sake, the Sermon on the Mount. He had talked about his disciples and how blessed they were when they were going to go through these things. 
Now he says to John the Baptist, Blessed is the one who is not offended in me. How is John the Baptist blessed? Answer, in the midst of his doubts, John the Baptist is beheaded as opposed to, recount, as opposed to recanting his commitment to Jesus Christ. He's given the grace to persevere. He's given the grace to overcome. He's given the grace to stand firm in his commitment to Jesus Christ. People, don't beat yourself up over your doubts but rejoice in the times of reaffirmation. Marvel at God's grace and goodness that he enables us to continue on in our faithfulness and committed to him even in the midst of our doubts. Even in the midst of our uncertainty. And he's able to overcome our doubts. So, quickly, let me then give you the final lessons that we need to learn. First, we should not be surprised by our doubts, even the dramatic ones. Even the days that we rise up and ask ourselves, is there even a God? For we are capable of such doubts. Secondly, we should not be surprised that we doubt. You should not be surprised that you doubt, and I should not be surprised that I doubt. For if John the Baptist had doubts, What do I expect of myself? Don't say to yourself, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I shouldn't have doubts. Don't say to yourself, I've been teaching Sunday school for the last 50 years. I shouldn't have doubts. And I shouldn't say to myself, man, you've been preaching and teaching this message for all these years and you still have doubts? We shouldn't be surprised at our doubts. We should understand where doubts come from. It's when our expectations run contrary to our experience. So we need to relearn our experiences in light of our expectations. We need to go back to God's word and let it minister to us. So what should we do with our doubts? Here is the universal application to every single person here, no matter how old you are. 
This is what you are to do, and this is what I am to do. First, take them to Jesus. Acknowledge your doubts. Don't pretend that they don't exist. Don't put them under a rug. Don't put on an air. You see, John the Baptist, what is absolutely phenomenal about the humility of John the Baptist is not his statement that says he must increase and I must decrease. I mean, that's a great thing. That's humility. But after all, he's talking about Jesus. So he ought to increase and I ought to decrease. That ought to be a no-brainer, really. When I think about humility, I think that it's John the Baptist who has doubts about Jesus being the Son of God, but doesn't sit in his prison in depression and in fear and in anguish, consume himself with his doubts because he's ashamed. But rather, he says to his disciples, his followers, the ones that have looked up to John the Baptist and followed him all over the countryside because he had told them that Jesus is the one. And they had been faithful to John the Baptist. They had been watching out for John the Baptist. They were obviously visiting John the Baptist in prison. And yet he opens up and says to these disciples, go ask him if he's the one. Lesson number two. In being that open and that candid with his disciples, which, quite frankly, Pastor says nothing about, but must have blown him away. I mean, I mean, really, think about that. You're a disciple of John the Baptist, and he says, go ask him if he's the one. What do you, what do you mean go ask him if he's the one? You know he's the one. But in his vulnerability, in his honesty, he gave the disciples the greatest lesson that he ever could teach them. Because they're going to have doubts too. One of the reasons we have false expectations is because Christians aren't completely honest with us. Because there are people we look up to and we think they never have doubts. They never have troubles. They never have issues. They never have sins. There's doctrines out there of entire sanctification, of you can be completely sinless in this life. It's a bunch of bunk. You can't be sinless in this life. There's nobody that doesn't have doubts. We're all weak. We're all needy. And John the Baptist was willing to reveal that to his disciples. What a blessing. 
Then, he sends them off. And they come back. And John the Baptist is strengthened. And then John the Baptist is fortified. And John the Baptist gives his life for his Lord and his Savior. Because Jesus said he would be blessed. The blessing was not going to be releasing him from prison. The blessedness is going to be blessed are thou when thou art persecuted for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus said, if you don't deny me before men, I won't deny you before my Father. Our passage goes on. We'll see it next week. But it's after John the Baptist's disciples leave. The crowd is standing around. Jesus says to the crowd, there has not one risen greater than John the Baptist. Jesus identifies with John and praises John in John's lifetime in the midst of his doubts to this crowd. John is blessed. Tell John, blessed is the one who is not offended in me. Because the most remarkable thing is that Jesus in heaven is praising John the Baptist for not failing to identify with Jesus on earth. Here's my beloved brother. I'm glad to call him my brother. I identify with him. I committed my life to him. I died for him. So how do we deal with our experiences? Rethink what it means to be blessed. Rethink about how Jesus ministers to us. When we doubt his kindness and his goodness, go back to the cross. Go back to how he saved you. Go back to while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Go back to the truth that it's not you who sought him. It is he who sought you. Go back to realize that there's more in this life, even than life itself. Nothing could be greater than the eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ. Go back to the word and let the word minister to you in the time of your doubts. Let's pray. Our Father, help us. Help us to go to Jesus in our doubts. Help us to go to your word in our doubts. Speak through your word. And above all, remove the false expectations. Lord, just get it out of our hearts and minds that if I had a sign, if only I heard, heard Christ speak, if only, if only, Lord, help us to see that there is nothing that is going to remove our doubts like the word of God. So, O oh Lord, give us 
to study, to memorize, to meditate, to reflect, to give ourselves to your word that will buoy us, strengthen us, help us, nourish us, feed us, equip us, enable us, and remove our doubts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jack, I don't have my